0: You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in the space and enjoy this week's sermon.
1: Today's reading is titled, Counting This New Year's Morning, What Powers Yet Remain to Me? by Jane Hirschfield. The world asks as it asks daily. And what can you make, can you do to change my deep broken, fractured? I count this very first day of another year, what remains. I have a mountain, a kitchen, two hands. Can admire with two eyes the mountain. Actual, recalcitrant, shuffling its pebbles, sheltering foxes and beetles. Can make black-eyed peas and collards. Can make, from last year's late ripening persimmons, a pudding. Can climb a stepladder, change the bulb in a track light. For four years, I woke each day first to the mountain, then to the question. The feet of the new sufferings followed the feet of the old, and still they surprised. I brought salt, brought oil to the question, brought sweet tea, brought postcards and stamps. For four years, each day something stone did not become apple war did not become peace yet joy still stays joy sequins stay sequins words still bespangle bewilder today i woke without answer the day answers Unpockets a thought from a friend. Don't despair of this falling world. Not yet didn't it give you the asking? That was Jane Hirschfield. Um she writes up a new poem every the first day of every year.
0: Happy New Year. Year. (laughs) Farewell to 2023 and welcome 2024, whether we like it or not. It's here. Now who made some resolutions?
1: Hmm. Intentions.
0: Who calls them intentions? (laughs) Okay. Who already broke their intentions or resolutions? (laughs) Who got a gym membership? You don't have to raise your hand. And who hasn't been every day? No. (laughs) Don't feel bad about it if you broke your intentions or resolutions or whatever it is. You can make new ones and you can break those too. I appreciate the exercise in looking at what we want to continue from the previous year that was life-giving to us and to those we love and starting new endeavors. But I find that we and I am so included in this make our New Year's resolutions or intentions often quite complex, or so ambiguous it doesn't matter at all. Where's the middle ground, I wonder, for myself and for everyone else? I don't have a solution for you. It's not a one size fits all exercise, but whether you break the resolutions or keep them or choose a focus word or a quest, someone said, or you decide to take up a hobby or commit to an act of kindness and so on and so forth, Whatever it is you choose to do for the new year, I feel that the mental exercise itself is worthwhile. You're imagining a better you, a better world, a healthier you, kinder, focused, whatever it is you need in this moment. Awareness is half the journey. When you start to do things that are not in support of your own wellness, and you will, we human beings are good at that, Having awareness in the back of your mind can help you along the way. And what better time, it's not just a New Year's Sunday, but it's also the Feast of the Epiphany for our Christian friends. And it's all about a quest, all about discovering light and discovering hope. But sometimes the way through that journey, the way to discovering that light and hope requires a good bit of, I wouldn't say despair, but perhaps some misadventures as well. So here's a quick story of how I've had my own misadventure in this new year already that didn't serve my best interests. It comes from this past week, and I pray that in the future when I need sermon stories, it doesn't happen like this constantly to me. (laughs) But I found myself having some emergency dental work, which is the best way to start off the new year. The endodontist and I could have spent all day cracking jokes with one another, We shared the same sardonic and sarcastic humor and it was great it was glorious except we needed to get down to business i'll spare you the stories uh the details of the story that include the sound of drills and burrs and excavators filers and reamers (sighs) except i didn't spare you (laughs) I need not get into the many attempts of the dentist to have a conversation with me while I was unable to talk. If any of you are dentists, we need to talk about that after the service. (laughs) I don't really need to get into all of the specifics. It wasn't how I planned to spend my day. As the dentist and her assistants were going about their business, I blissfully unable to feel a thing. I started to notice my phone and, by extension, my watch buzzing and buzzing and buzzing when they stepped away to check in on another patient and wait for my x-rays I took the phone out I looked at all the messages and here we go I was doing it again with plastic and little pointy things sticking out of my face my mouth wide open protective glasses on me I found myself starting to reply to those messages starting to work and then an image popped into my mind. It was a tweet from long ago, comparing the difference between Europeans and Americans when they're out of the office. European out-of-office replies are direct. I am away camping for the summer. Email me again in September. Americans, however, sound like this. I've left the office for two hours to undergo emergency kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell anytime." <laughs> Does that resonate with you? (laughs) While not having kidney surgery, here I was, all numbed up, mouth wide open, waiting on x-rays with at least an hour and a half to go in my adventure. And I was a living stereotype. And then I stopped replying. I caught myself, and I turned off the phone. I wanted to laugh at myself, but I I couldn't. (laughs) And the rest of the week, I've been thinking about that incident. When have you been the stereotypical, overworking American that sacrifices your own health and self-care for what exactly? It's not the first time I've been there. And sometimes I've been there and not even known it, and then wondered why I suffered more in the end. For many of us, we have jobs, careers, callings, whatever we want to call it, that have an unspoken expectation that we are always available It's not just the helping professions like mine anymore. It's a lot of our jobs. And it's toxic. And we can just say that. It's toxic. I wish I could say I learned something sitting in that dentist chair, but no, I didn't. I also fall victim to that American stereotype that we are invincible. We can overcome anything. But I underestimated just how serious that visit to the dentist was, and she warned me. I didn't listen to her. I went right back to work, and then I overdid it. Now, I'm grateful to one of you sitting here this morning, I won't put you on the spot, who told me later in the week, just go home. Thank you. (laughs) But I know you won't be here always. But before we continue, I just need to let you know I'm fine. In the truest sense of the word, fine, not F-I-N-E, but fine, F-I-N-E is freaking insecure, neurotic, and exhausted, but I'm, I'm actually fine. I'm actually fine. It's all good. I have everything I need. But I share this journey with you today because right now I can laugh at the absurdity of it, but also because so many of us have been there. Maybe this morning, maybe on a daily basis, we sacrifice our own well-being for productivity. We abdicate our autonomy to others, often in the work environment. I remember growing up, there was a significant amount of time that was spent in public school learning about the Protestant work ethic. I don't know if they teach that anymore, but did you learn about the Protestant work ethic? In Chicago, they did. I don't know why. But a significant amount of time. And we'd hear the phrases about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, fighting through the pain and running it off, keep calm and carry on if you have an English family and so on and so on and so on. All of them code words and phrases for reinforcing an unhealthy culture. And in my experience, in this moment in our society, people across generations are resisting this culture because retirements are delayed, people can't afford homes, and yet and yet the workload keeps growing and it's never enough now i don't have solutions for our culture of overworking and burnout beyond raising awareness any real solutions go so much more deeper and more involved than requ- and it requires a cultural shift it's a shift that i hope continues that i'm seeing a little bit here and there And for all the commentary that's been going on about quiet quitting, or now loud quitting, the problem at the core is a culture of overworking and of inescapable demands. But we do know it goes deeper than that, right? We know it's so much much more difficult than just, oh, just fix it, just change your attitude about this. Some people have to work to survive. I was raised by a single mother who at one point worked four jobs just to barely scrape by. This isn't a new problem for us. And the last thing folks who are just scraping by need to hear is someone like me talk about the need for self-care. Especially when self-care itself has become another thing to get burnt out on. If only you used this calendaring system, this journaling system, this app, twenty nine ninety nine a month. This timer, this blanket, this cushion, this tea, this meal replacement shake, this life-changing thing on Kickstarter. Yes, if only you use those things, then you'll be taking care of yourself. But that just means people like me and many of you will still be checking email and text messages while getting a root canal or recovering from surgery or from COVID or on vacation or even a day off. But at least we'll have the latest self-care gadget. So instead of that, I want to talk about loving yourself. And I believe that's where real self-care begins—not the latest productivity hack or app, not in minimizing the real change that needs to happen in our culture before everyone can truly take care of themselves. The late great Kentuckian Bell Hooks, in her book *All About Love*, it's a great book. Right here. It addresses love from the perspective of a queer black woman in America and the significant hurdles she faced her entire life. She's up front that love is not something lofty, but it requires us to look at a combination of trust, commitment, care, respect, knowledge and responsibility that it isn't distilled into little self-care axioms, and she would say those pivy mantras and sayings hurt us more than help, because the real work in loving ourselves goes deep. And this is no surprise. Having love for yourself does not exist in isolation, according to Hooks. All of it, though, for her, begins with self-acceptance. Bell Hooks has this to say about the topic. She writes, Self-acceptance is hard for many of us, There is a voice inside that is constantly judging first ourselves and then others. That voice enjoys the indulgence of an endless negative critique because we have learned to believe negativity is more realistic. It appears more real than any positive voice. Once we begin to replace negative thinking with positive thinking, it becomes utterly clear, far from being realistic, Negative thinking is absolutely disenabling. When we are positive, we not only accept and affirm ourselves, we're able to affirm and accept others. If you took those words of bell hooks and expanded them to our national discourse, I feel like they would apply just as well. She's offering these words as someone who's had to fight her way in life, every step of the way as a person of color, a woman, in academia, and activism, and as a Southerner. She's grew up and lived and experienced great tragedy, seen friends killed on the streets, and still she encourages us to accept ourselves, to interrupt the negative feedback, the despair, because that's how communities and individuals endure and thrive, even amidst great adversity. Bell Hooks would say, and I believe it, Look to any moment of history where people have overcome great obstacles. There was a resiliency rooted in joy, rooted in acceptance, rooted in finding value in the moment. Now this morning I was convinced my example is not rooted in deep oppression. However, I would say it's rooted in fighting against a system of productivity that is indeed oppressive. So maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe our culture itself is oppressive, asking us to never pause to take care of ourselves. We Unitarian Universalists though, as expressed in our eighth principle, are committed to dismantling those systems that perpetuate inhumanity. (laughs) But here's what was going through my head as I fought that urge to work as the drills were going. I was afraid people would be disappointed that if I didn't text back immediately, it would be the end of the world. (laughs) Have you been there? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. I see you nodding. Yeah. (laughs) This need to keep working no matter what at all hours so people like me. This is at once a monumental but small change that is asked of us. We're looking at the wider world around us, I hope saying that it isn't sustainable, that something needs to change, but also more locally. And we get this as reminders every day, even the smallest of things. Bell Hooks knew the reality of what we were facing. That if we cannot accept ourselves, that if we cannot work on that, that if we cannot say that one path is self-acceptance is letting go of the pressures around us, pressures of productivity, the pressures of always working, the pressures of we're not good enough, there's always something better, always something better, instead of this, just this moment right here. If we cannot do that, how can we expect to do that for others? How can we expect to be a force of love and change and justice if we cannot be that for ourselves first? And so Hooks committed herself to shifting that perspective internally first and loving herself So that she could live a life where service and advocacy were joyful. Where work, even if it was work she didn't love, some of us have work we don't love. I love my work, but some of you don't, right? (laughs) I have to say that, some of you get worried. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about, right? We've had jobs we don't love, we've had work we don't love, and it could even be this moment that even then, for Hooks, she could find some satisfaction in that moment. If we give up and resign ourselves to being our work instead of being a human who happens to work, what hope is there for us? And it's like the poem we heard earlier from Jane Hirschfield. The world asks us daily, she says, what can you make, can you do to change the brokenness of the world? And we can't do that if we've resigned ourselves to brokenness alone if we cannot muster love and care for ourselves before anyone else. More days than not we awake, says Hirschfield, without answer. But the world responds. Don't despair of this falling world, not yet. Didn't it give you the asking? In other words, nothing can take away our capacity for reflection, for cultivation of joy and satisfaction, for asking why the world is as it is and make changes for ourselves where we can thrive and even others can thrive. And it begins with something so simple, with looking at ourselves, all of our flaws, all of the difficulties, the life we currently have, and saying, I accept you. It doesn't mean you give up fighting or for change or pushing back against an unjust system, but in acceptance comes love, and from love comes a commitment to seeing that love come alive in all that we do. Now, I believe that's possible. Why? I take it on faith, if I'm being honest with you. So few things in life do I just take on blind faith. But this, this fragile hope for cultivating joy and love has been shown to us by communities who've endured great trials. Now, I don't have a crystal ball for 2024. If you do, we need to talk. I don't know what's going to happen to our democracy. I don't. What I do know is that our world and culture is in the midst of a great turning. And where will it land? I have no idea. Something tells me that what is before us will require great resiliency and joy. Not fleeting happiness, but joy. Joy in knowing we're not alone, knowing that we can freely love and accept ourselves and no one can take that from us. Joy in knowing every difficult era of human history has passed. Knowing that is liberating. When we can do that, and that is my greatest hope for us this new year in this community and each and every one of your daily lives, let that be a shared hope for all of us. And let it begin with accepting yourself, loving yourself, resisting the calls for endless productivity, even if just a moment. And so may we endeavor toward love and wholeness together this new year. And please... Do not respond to text messages while getting a root canal or surgery. Amen. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service
1: offerings. We'll see you next week.